A uh, couple things before I start. <clears throat> First of all, I'm not sure how long this sermon's going to go, so I do apologize in advance. Uh, normally, I have an idea of how long my sermon's going to go. I don't know how long it's going to go. Uh, secondly, I have to be in Cleveland at 7 today, so I need to leave as soon as services are over, so I don't think I'm running out because of the sermon, although <laughs> you might want me to run out after the sermon. Um, and on a personal note, uh, Nicholas, Philip, Beth, Stephen, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you because you are my strength, and I don't say that enough, and I, I learned that today because you guys really helped me today, so I really appreciate that. All right, so some of the things I'm about to say are, may make some people uncomfortable, uh, and you might disagree with me on some of them. Part of my objective this afternoon is to tell my story, but at the end of this sermon, the main point I want all of us to take away is that salvation is found in the power of the gospel, and sometimes that power can be seen through the struggles each of us have faced, and maybe even are facing today, and that by sharing those struggles and our victories over them, we might be able to help others. So that is my objective today. I was talking to a guy this weekend, and he was telling me a story about his son. And he was saying that his son could read him like a book, and it made him uncomfortable. And he said, and it was interesting, he said, my son got past, my, got past his security clearance. And what that meant to him was that he had boundaries set up. And he didn't expect people to go past those boundaries. And when he said, my son got past my security clearances, that means he had put up this wall, and yet his son had gotten past that wall. And he said that wasn't allowed. And I laughed when he said that, but I understood exactly what he meant. Because I have a problem with intimacy. I'm not comfortable being intimate with people. I'm not comfortable with you knowing what's going on in my life. Each person in this room, in my mind, has a security clearance when it comes to me. Every one of you. And that clearance allows you to get only so far to me, so close to me, and if you try to get past that security clearance, I just shut you down because I don't want you to get close to me. Why? Because I've always believed for decades that the way to avoid being hurt is to avoid allowing people to get close to you. That was my life. You cannot hurt me if you do not know me. And that's crazy, huh? But that was my belief for a lot of years. And you ask yourself, why would someone put, that in, put themselves in a situation where they don't want to get close to people? And my story is pretty simplistic. So when I was young, and I don't remember the age because you know there are certain things I've removed from my memory because I don't want to think about them. But when I was young, probably in the sixth or seventh grade, I found a magazine. It was a porno magazine. And I picked it up, and for the next three plus decades, decades, I had problems with pornography. And I remember in my early teen years, I would tell myself that it was something I was just going to grow out of. But when I was 15, I didn't grow out of it and became 16. When I was 16, I didn't grow out of it and I became 17. And I was still looking for magazines. 
And I went to college when I was 18. And I went to a religious college. I'm not going to say what college I went to, but the letters are F and C. And I told myself that as soon as I got into college, as soon as I got around Christian people 24-7, I was going to give up pornography. I was just going to let it go. And I have to admit, to this day, I don't understand how I was able to find pornography at FC. With a college full of good, righteous Christian people, I was still delving into it. But I was always just about to stop. I told myself in college that as soon as I got married, I'd give it up. There'd be no need for pornography because, you know, you're married. But I got married, and it didn't stop. Magazines became VHS tapes. VHS tapes became DVDs. And all of a sudden, the Internet came along, and it was all free, 24-7. It was right there. And I never gave up wanting to quit. And I told myself there was always, you know, just tomorrow I'm going to quit. Just this is the last time. And I remember saying, you know, when I got kids, I'm going to give it up. Because you, you have kids. Like, you've got to be an example to those kids, right? They're looking for someone who's going who's gonna to be the perfect dad. And I said, man, when my kid's going to, I'm just, this pornography is going to go away. But I had one kid, and it didn't go away. And I had two kids, and it didn't go away. And I had twins, people who looked up to me, who expected me to do right, but I was still addicted to pornography. I'd get caught at times, and I'd lie about it. That's not mine. I don't know where that came from. I mean, that magazine that's in the house, it just, that's a miracle. Uh, I made excuses. I went forward at church a couple times. But eventually, I found myself right back at pornography. And as an aside, someone said to me that sometimes when you go forward, you either repent or you repeat. I always thought I was repenting. But I think when I went forward, I was just repeating because I knew what I needed to say. And so I said it. 30 years of my life were controlled by pornography. 30 years of me allowing pornography to dictate my actions and my thoughts. And I kept telling myself every single day, it doesn't hurt anybody. But it does. Even if you're keeping it a secret from everyone, it devastates your family in ways you're not aware and, po and can't possibly imagine. Porn is a jealous idol, and it doesn't want anything to come between it and you. It puts you in a position where there is a barrier between you and everyone else. Everybody gets a security clearance because you don't want them to know. It convinces you to hide behind a wall. It tells you to keep a secret. And any time the secret gets out, it says, just lie. And you do. Because at the end of the day, you find yourself so controlled by pornography that you start to actually protect it. And that's crazy but it all makes sense in your head. And eventually, you get to the point where you feel that you will never let it go. It has gotten you, and you feel that to the day I die, I will have this addiction. That you've watched it so much and looked at it so, so long that it's a part of you, and it will be a part of you forever. But I can guarantee you this. If you are struggling with pornography, 
and you want to quit and you feel that you can overcome it on your own, I guarantee you, you'll never get away from it because pornography controls you. It wants you by yourself. But my story, although it starts with pornography, isn't about pornography. This lesson is about pornography. That's not the topic for the day. I used to think that I was going to be addicted to pornography to the day I die. That was my mentality. And you're thinking, wow, that is crazy. But that is what I believed. I had fought it, and I had fought it, and I just assumed that it would always have a hold on me. And I'm going to be honest with you, I had read a lot of verses and passages and done a lot of studying and fasting and beating myself over the head. But at the end of the day, right or wrong, I thought I was going to be forever addicted to it. But you know what caused me to believe that I could turn the corner? What made me realize that perhaps there was salvation, that I could get away from it? The perfect answer, and the one you probably expect me to preach, is that I prayed about it, I heard a sermon, maybe I realized the consequences of what was going on and the amount of pain I had caused others. Those would all be really good answers, and I really wish I could say to you that was it. But for me, those things never caused me to change. Sermons. You can, when someone is doing something wrong, beating them over the head, they beat themselves up a whole lot more and a whole lot harder than you do. So those things didn't affect me. It wasn't the words on the page of the Bible that changed me. It was seeing someone living the words on the page of the Bible that affected me the most. And I'm going to tell you, I will remember to the day I die exactly when I realized I could give up porn. I was sitting and I was listening to this guy and he was talking about his life and he talked about the things he had struggled with and how he had struggled and how difficult it was and how, how hard it was to overcome those temptations. And while he was talking, while he was telling his story, this guy was telling my story. He was telling about how he found the magazine how he had tried to give up pornography, how he had suffered constantly. And I felt as if someone had literally taken a pen, written down my life, handed it to this guy and said, just say these words. And this guy was in his 60s. And he was talking about how for decades he had been addicted to porn. And then he said some very simple words that changed my life forever. He said, because of God, I have not looked at pornography for over a decade. And I started crying. So let me back up and explain my situation and what was happening. Imagine you've been hiding something for decades, hiding it from everybody, everyone you love, everyone you know, something you're ashamed of, something you struggle with, something you feel that you will never overcome. Imagine if that controls you every single day. Then someone comes to you and starts talking about their struggles, their life, their shame, and they end with, but I don't do that anymore. I turned that over to God, and it was the power of the gospel that saved me. I don't live anymore. It is Christ who lives in me. And that changed my world because that is the power of the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. The gospel allows you to be 
a new man. And when you can sit and listen to some guy who says, I struggled with what you're going through and I overcome it, I overcame it, that beats every sermon you can hear about that subject because it, it, it makes it real. In Titus chapter 3, the reading, starting in verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That was us. That was me. I'm going to try to keep saying me and not us. That's who I was. I was disobedient. I served various lusts and pleasures. That was my life. But verse 4 and 5, those are the verses that are so important. Because they says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. This verse tells me that there is one way we're saved and one way we're not saved. And you're probably sitting there thinking, well, duh, Eric, that's something we preach about all the time. And some of you who might not know my story might be sitting there thinking, wait a minute. This guy was addicted to pornography for years, for decades. He preached sermons. He taught my kids in Bible class. What kind of person is that guy? What kind of man is he? How could he have done that? And I used to ask myself that question all the time. All the time. How can you do good things when you're doing such bad things? How can you preach a lesson on being pure when you turn around and you go watch pornography? How can you be an example to kids, to your own kids? and lead a double life of secrecy and lies. And I would ask myself almost daily, what kind of person are you? And eventually, for me, I narrowed it down to, to one question. Was I really a bad person that did a few good things to hide how bad I was? Or was I a good person who really wanted to change and who just kept falling down on a job? That was a question I asked myself for decades. And that question plagued me. And once I started to turn the corner, it got a whole lot worse because then I could look back and see the damage I had done, to see what I had done to my family. And it, it you know, you have to ask yourself. But you know what's interesting about that question? That question's a lie. That's the question the devil wanted me to keep asking myself over and over again. Why? Because the devil wanted me to believe that if I did two bad things and 50 good things, the good things washed the bad away. That allow you to watch pornography. You know, I'm just going to watch this, but I'm going to go do all those good things. I used to, well, we're not going to get into that. Um, so the devil wants you to think that as long as you did enough good, well, it's going to overcome that bad, and it doesn't really matter. Or, on the other hand, and this is what the devil did to me, the devil says, you've done so many bad things, it doesn't even matter. You've watched so much pornography, you think God's going to look at you and think you're worthy of saving? 
The devil looked at me and told me constantly, 30 years, dude, just go with it. Give it up because it doesn't matter. And it was only asking, it was only after I asked that specific question to a guy, because I said, I don't know the answer to this question. I don't understand because I need to know, was I a good person or was I just a horrible person? And I asked the person, and after I asked that person, I was finally able to see. Because the answer the person gave me, which is ironic because this guy is not a Christian, but his answer shocked me. And it helped me. Because I told him that I struggled and I had been trying to determine which person I had been, whether I was a good person or whether I was just a hypocrite. Spending my whole life up here preaching, lying to y'all. You know, was that who I was? And you know what his answer to that question was? He said, you are neither. You are a sick person in need of a physician. Verse 5 tells us it's not because of the good things that we do or the done that's going to save us. And it's not because of the bad things we've done that's going to cause us to go to hell. We are saved. I was saved because of Jesus' love for me. Hitler. If Hitler had repented, he would have been saved. He would have been the person in verse 3. And then he would have been the person in verse 4. Five, six, and seven. Because at the end of the day, that is the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And that's what everyone needs to see in every one of us when we tell our stories. That is the powerful story of everyone in this room has become a Christian. That's the powerful story that can change the lives of everyone we meet. This is who I was. This is what I did. But I read the Bible. And now it's not me. It's Christ who lives in me. That's the gospel. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I always knew that that passage is full of you. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. But I translated it a little bit differently in my head. Because in my head it says, Bible passages are the salt of the earth. Bible passages are the light of the world. I, I felt that throwing Bible passages at people was all I needed to do. Do I need to live my life good? I can hide that, but I can just throw those Bible passages at people, they'll be able to understand. And, and I'm not saying that Bible passages aren't important. And I'm not saying that Bible passages don't work. But personally, personally, I had probably read more Bible passages about pornography than anyone in here. And I was steeped in it. Bible passages, for me, did not work. They didn't affect me. But seeing someone, seeing someone who was willing to share their struggles, willing to tell me what they had done, willing to sit there and say, I was just like you, that's the most powerful visual gospel I have ever seen in my life. 
And you're probably thinking, Eric, you had a heart that was hardened and you were willing, unwilling to listen to the Bible. It didn't affect you because you didn't want to change. And I'm not going to argue with that because I don't know how true that is. There's probably some validity to that statement. On the whole, I don't agree with it, but I can see someone who would look at me and go, 30 years, you didn't want to change. You just had a hardened heart. But I will tell you that someone telling their story to me, someone opening up, caused me to turn back to look where I needed to look in a different perspective. Their story and their overcoming sin through God's will and their willingness to share it with me showed me in a visceral way just how powerful the gospel was. I could have read a passage that specifically said, do not watch porn. But for me, it would not have affected me as much as this guy who's like, you know what, for 30 years, 40 years, I was watching porn. But the Bible showed me differently. We were... Titus chapter 3, verse 3, all of us, all of us, foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts. But the gospel, the gospel changed our lives. It was the gospel that made us better people. And it didn't make us perfect people. And it didn't make us people who never sin. But it did make us people who, like verse 7 mentions, have been justified by grace and who can become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That's our story. That's the power of the gospel. And it's the telling of our story that's going to bring people to Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are reasons why you might not want to tell your story. I never wanted to tell my story. And the most obvious reason why we don't want to tell our stories is because we don't want to look like sinners. It's embarrassing. If you look closely, I've been blushing since I started talking. It is embarrassing to be up here. I would rather be in any seat right now. But I believe that the devil tells us that in order to bring others to Christ, we need to show them that we live a perfect life. And I don't live a perfect life. If you turn over to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The church is full of sinful people. This building, as far as I can tell, is not full of perfect people. The church is for those who are sick. It is for those who are in need of a physician. And this is my fault, and I'm not blaming anyone. But I will tell you that part of the reason I never went forward because, was because I felt that the church was full of perfect people who would not understand. And I'm not going to lie to you. When I told some people, they acted exactly as if they were perfect people. And when I told them my struggle, I was embarrassed. But you know what kept me going? 
If you turn over to Luke chapter 15, Luke 15 verse 7. It says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Sometimes that was the only passage that kept me going. I'm just being honest with you. When you are in the midst of telling people that you've done wrong, whether it's true or not, you feel like you're just not even worthy to be on this earth. You're embarrassed. And ironically, when I was turning a corner, and, I was, and I'm being honest with you, I felt like Satan was throwing Christians at me to cause me to fail. Just being honest with you. And maybe I looked at it from a wrong perspective. But let's just say, Luke 15, verse 7, me realizing that angels in heaven were rejoicing made it okay. Because if you confess to doing something wrong, I'm just going to be honest with you, everybody's not going to go, I love you, let's sit and talk. There are, there are going to be some people who do not understand what you're going through. And because they do not understand what you're going through, they might not understand how to deal with it but we cannot allow those people to change us. Because I'm going to be honest with you. A long time ago, I went forward for pornography, and the people did not treat me like I wanted to be treated. So I went back to pornography, because that was my excuse. And none of us can do that. It is embarrassing to go forward. It is embarrassing to stand up here right now and, and do this sermon. It is embarrassing to say to someone, hey, I sinned. And I, and I know we do the facetious, you know, I sinned last week because I was supposed to read the Bible seven days and I only read it six and, you know, I wish you would forgive me. You know, sometimes I just feel like that's the kind of sinning that we talk about in public. That's the kind of sinning we're okay with sharing. I could say to you, wow, I, I didn't study enough last week. But to state the concrete sins, to say, I have a problem with lying. I, I, I lie, and I, I have a hard time stopping. Or to say, you know what, I look at other women, and I should not look at other women. Or even I look at other men, and I should not look at other men. To say I stole something, to share that with a member of the congregation, that concrete sin, that's a hard thing to do. Those are the ones we keep secret. Those are the ones that we need to confess to one another. Because I guarantee you, and this is what I believe with all my being, if you are struggling with something, if you are struggling with the sin, I guarantee you somebody in this building right here, right now, is struggling with the same thing. And you know what they're thinking? I'm the only one. I thought I was the only person in the world, in the world, that had a problem with pornography. Because that's, that's what addicts do. But when someone said to me, it's okay, you're not the only one. And it's not like they were saying, it's okay, you can go ahead and act, you know, act out. It's not like they were saying, pornography is... They were humanizing me. Does that make any sense? They were saying to me, you're not the only person who's going through this. You're not the only person that struggles. And so it is embarrassing, but it is so helpful. Because 
in my opinion, some of the most beautiful words you'll ever hear another person say in this world, you're not alone. I've done it too. Maybe not the same sin, but I understand that you're struggling. I understand that it's hard to live on this earth. I understand that sin is a temptation that we all fall for sometimes. When you have someone sit down beside you and say that, that, in my opinion, there's not a lot of verses that can counter that or have the same emotional feeling. I mean, I, hopefully I'm going to get to that point where, the, you know, I'm not saying the Bible's not important, but to be able to sit there and talk to someone, you know, knee to knee, wow. Because your momentary embarrassment can be somebody else's salvation. And it will definitely be your salvation. But embarrassment is the only reason we, keep our, we don't tell our stories. Uh, sometimes we don't tell our stories because we don't think our stories are good enough. Because uh, you're sitting there thinking, well, mine ain't as bad as yours, Eric, because you messed up. Um, and we have a tendency to say, you know, what can I say about my life that's going to bring other people to Christ? Uh, it's just easier to give them a Bible and, and you know, point out some Bible passages. Um, but I was thinking about the Ethiopian eunuch. And we all know the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, how he comes and he's reading a Bible passage and, you know, he doesn't understand what's going on and he talks to the apostle and the apostle explains to him and then he gets baptized. And we always use that passage as like proof text, you know, this proves baptism and whatever. But I was thinking, what is the story? What story did the Ethiopian eunuch tell when he got home? And I imagine... Here's what he said. You know, I went up to Jerusalem again, and somebody said, dude, you're an Ethiopian. Come on now. You're not even a Jewish person. Why are you still going up there? And he said, you know, I, I was reading the Bible. I, I didn't know what was going on. And this guy came in, and he started talking to me. And um, he told me some stuff I had done wrong. He told, me I, I, he told me I wasn't saved. You know, I was, I was a good person. But he, he said to me some stuff. And at the end of the conversation, I thought, wait a minute. I'm not saved. I, I've sinned. I, I need to be baptized. I mean, I didn't even understand what baptism was, but he explained to me, and he said it to me in such a way that I thought I need to be baptized. And I look back over my life, and I'm like, dude, you know, I'm a great person. I do great things, and I go here. And I thought, I thought I was right. I thought I was righteous. I mean, how many other Ethiopians are getting out of their, you know, buggies and, you know, making a trip up Jerusalem. I did that, and I thought I was right, but I wasn't, and this guy showed me that, and after that, I was like, wow, I'm a different person now. This is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to show my righteousness. I mean, think about the, the, think about the lady with two mites. You think that was a story she wanted to tell? But how many of us look at that story and go, that is a story that increases my faith? There's an old woman with no money. That was her story. And we look at that passage and we go, that's such an example to us. Each of us, every single one of us, has a story we can tell others. Why? Because we all got problems, you know. We don't like our coworkers. We don't like our boss. We got issues with money. All of us have problems. The world has problems. But we can say, you know what? I got a problem. 
and I didn't understand how to solve it, and I couldn't figure it out, and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But you know what? I started reading the Bible, and it said this weird stuff, and I started doing it. And man, my life changed. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Just sharing our stories, no matter how small we think they may be. The power of the gospel, and I'm starting to think this more and more, isn't the words on the pages. It's living the life, sharing your story, and letting other people see Christ in you. Each of us struggles, but we all act differently than the people in the world because of the gospel, because of the power of what it tells us to do. And that's our story. And our ability to, to survive by believing in God, that's the light they see. That's what the people of the world see. And we can literally hide it under a basket because we don't think it's good enough. Everybody in the world is or was Titus 3.3. And our story tells how we went from Titus 3.3 to Titus 3.4-7. And that's the power of the gospel. And there are always going to be reasons why you don't want to tell your story. There will always be reasons to hide under a basket. Whether you don't want to be embarrassed, whether you don't think it's good enough, you know, Add your excuse. But there are four quick reasons why I think we all need to always tell our stories. And then as they say, the lesson's yours. The first reason I think we need to tell our stories is because it reminds us individually of the gospel. And it humbles us to remember what it took for our salvation. Because... <laughs> Good news. What is good news? Good news meant, man, I was jacked up. But look at me now. That's the gospel. And telling our story is telling the people that we, because of the gospel, are a new person. You don't do things you used to do. We don't live how we used to live. It's now Jesus who lives in us, and people need to know that. Because you might be living a really, really good life, and they just think you got a really good book about some guy written in India. The power of the gospel is saying, I live this way because of God. And you don't have to have some, you know, really big, powerful, look at me, I've, I've you know, healed people on Saturdays, whatever. You can just go, man, I was struggling. You know, kids, I don't know what to do. The whole world was telling me to do it this way, but I looked at the Bible and I did it and that's, that's it. That is the power of the gospel. And another reason I think we need to tell our story is because the person right beside you might be the person going through the same thing you're going through, and they might be thinking they can't overcome it. They might believe that they are alone and that they are the only one. You know, we sing the song, You Never Mention Him to Me. And I think someone should write a song called, You Never Mention Your Struggles to Me. Because we can read Bible passages to each other all the time. I mean, none of the people in this room can say, you never mentioned Christ to me. But how many of us have mentioned the things that we struggle with, the things that we, we have a problem overcoming? And I understand that there are some people who do that, but we need to be 
diligent because, yeah, I'm going to go on a limb. For 30 years, I struggled with pornography. I think if I had, and I know this, I'm making this up, so you know, don't yell at me. If I had someone come up to me 30 years ago and say, you know what, I, I got this problem too, I think my life would be different. I think we would have walked together because it would have been someone that I, I could talk to, I could relate to, who I could understand. And if we don't share our stories, there could be someone right beside you who is struggling with the same thing you're going through who are thinking, it's just me. I can't tell anybody because I'm supposed to be a Christian, and if I say this, they're going to look at me and they're going to, they're going to mock me or withdraw from me or something. Dudes, this is a hospital. And if we get mad at sick people because they're sick, what's the use of being in a hospital? We're here in this room because we all need Christ. And when someone is steeped in sin or struggling, that's when you hold on to them. That's not when you throw Bible verses at them. That's when you talk to them and say, this is where you need to be. We need to be able to talk to each other about how we were foolish, how we were disobedient, how we were deceived, how we served various lusts and pleasures. And then we need to be able to talk about the gospel and how that was able to take away all those sins and how it was the gospel that made us who we are. Because that's the good news. That's the light that we shine to other people. And we need to do that because other people might be struggling right here, right now with the same thing you're going through. Another reason is because um, our kids and the visitors who walk in the door need to know we're not perfect. And I'm just going to throw it out there. When I first became a Christian, I didn't see a lot of people going for it. It was like kind of taboo. You know, if someone went for it, it was like a lot of whispering. What is this person doing? And I, I'm, think about it. If you're like, you know, you're, you go from 1 to 15, you know, and you, you're being at services and, and nobody talks about sinning in a specific way. Nobody really goes forward in a specific way. And all of a sudden, you're 16 years old, right? And you start sinning. Are you going to go forward? Because that's a shameful thing. Nobody else is doing it. I must be a really, really, really horrible person. I'm going to spend my, the rest of my life on this earth making sure my kids know dad's not perfect. He sins. Not that him sinning is a good thing, but he recognizes life is hard. Because if I don't show them life is hard, they're going to think, well, maybe it's me. But life is hard. The devil is trying to destroy every single one of us. Every single one of us has to fight every single day. And if we don't let our kids know that, and if we don't let the visitors who walk in the door know that, what are we doing? Because they're going to be sitting there thinking, I'm all alone. Nobody can help me. I'm in the wrong place. So we need to make sure, I need to make sure that I make it my business to let my kids know I struggle. Life is hard. And finally, if those things aren't good enough, we need to tell our story because the Bible tells us to. Bible says we're supposed to be examples to each other. We're supposed to talk to each other. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to be oof, intimate with each other. We have to do that because if we don't, well, the devil wants us by ourselves. I spent decades in the dark hiding an addiction to pornography. And I'm not standing up here because I'm cured. I mean, I don't want y'all looking, wow, whoo, look at him. 
He's the perfect person now. That's not me. I'm poof. I wish I was. And I don't have all the answers. Matter of fact, I don't even know what all the questions are. And I didn't want to talk about this. And I would have been as tickled as a pig in slop if none of y'all knew about this. Someone asked me a week ago. They said, Eric, what are you good, what are you good for? What are you good for in life? What do you, what do, you do? I mean, how do you, uh, how do you make life better for anybody? That question hurt me. And the only thing I could think of, and this is what I actually said to him, I'm a good example of what kind of person not to be. That's all I could think of. But that's the devil talking. I am a good example of what not to do. That's a true statement. But I'm a better example of what the gospel can do for you. I'm a better example of saying, I, I gave in. Let's be honest, I gave in for 30 years. But the gospel turned me around. I still struggle. But I'm getting to the point where I can look you in the eye and tell you for decades that Satan had me under his thumb. That's a hard thing to say. And I never thought it would ever be possible to be free. I'm just being brutally honest. I just never assumed that I would ever not be addicted to porn. Because I was once foolish, disobedient, deceived. This is verse 3. Serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating others. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards me appeared, not by works of righteousness which I had done, but according to his mercy he saved me through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on me abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, I should become heir according to the hope of eternal life. That's my story. That's your story. That's the story that all of us need to be telling all of us every single day. Salvation is found in the power of the gospel. And sometimes that power can be seen as through the struggles each of us have faced and maybe even are facing today. And I believe that by sharing that struggle and sharing our victory over it, or even sharing the fact that we're still fighting to overcome it, that's what helps others. That's the gospel. That's the power. And so I encourage all of us here, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad it isn't, share your story because that's what makes each of us grow stronger in Christ.